Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from BearMarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. And before we launch into the podcast today, I just want to do a special thank you to our patrons. Your support for as little as $5 a month helps us continue our research. It funds our surveys. It funds getting the word out there. And we're just so grateful to our patrons. We have such a fun time in our Facebook group and on our unfiltered podcasts. So you can join us at patreon.com slash bear marriage. The link is in the podcast notes. One of the things that I find in the work that we are doing, calling out some toxic teachings and evangelicalism relating to sex and marriage, is that there's a lot of overlap with some of the toxic things that are happening in evangelicalism as a whole. And so I find that the more that I talk about the problematic teachings that we experience, the more people show up on the blog and on the podcast talking about some of the problematic things they're going through in their churches. And so I wanted to dedicate today's podcast on how to recognize if things that are happening in your church are not okay. Um, because sometimes when we're in the middle of it, we can't see it. And so I have two amazing women that I want to introduce you to so that we can talk about different aspects of spiritual abuse that can happen in churches. Well, I am thrilled to bring onto the Bear Marriage Podcast a friend of mine, Jonna Harris, who is the co-host of the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. Hello, Jonna. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is like, I feel like I, I this is a long time coming because I've been on your podcast like what three times now and we've done yes. Instagram lives together. And yes, we yeah, I feel so honored to like be welcomed into your little side of the community as well. So thank you. Yeah. So here's, here's what happened, John. I will tell you the story. I wanted to talk in the month of December about community and healthy community. You know, the whole idea that Christmas like I love the the phrase that always really hits me at Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. You know, that God is this relational God. Yeah. And that he sent Jesus and Jesus came in order to show us what real relationship was going to be like, relationship that led to wholeness and health and how we are supposed to live in relationship. And I, I want that. I mean, I, I know you and I both, we spent our lives talking about the difficulties and the bad stuff in churches, right? Right. <laughs> but we desperately want there to be like healthy communities because that's what people need. But at the same time, I am inundated by stories of situations in churches, which really aren't healthy. And I know that's what you're really <laughs> dedicated to doing too. Um, yeah. In your podcast, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your podcast before I get into what I want to talk about? Yeah, sure. I can even speak a little bit to what you're even saying right now. And just the fact that I think oftentimes I was just listening to another podcast. I wish I could remember. It's about the, um, ne is it Nexum cult? Oh, yes. Yes. That so, lovely. Yes. The sex. Yes. Cult. One of the whistleblowers has a podcast. It's great. I cannot remember what it's called right now, but he's talking about how like people are so angry at them for like speaking up about what's going on and the consequences of exposing that. And he's like, you're actually mad at the things that were bad that happened and your anger is misplaced. Or there's this idea that like the people that are speaking up are the ones that are making, making this situation hard for people, but really it's the behavior that we're speaking up about. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to say these things out loud. We have to shine light on them and we have to educate 
ourselves and the church so that we don't continue in these patterns and have these harmful things happen. So it's out of love for the church, right? And that's actually, I guess that could be a little segue into what I do. So Bodies Behind the Bus is a podcast that centers survivor stories um, originally coming out of the Acts 29 network. And now we've kind of branched into, I mean, as it's gained a little bit of listenership, all of American evangelicalism. We've even gotten some people overseas that have reached out. And it's just this very similar experience from everyone with this um, idea of like this coercive, high control um, religion. And that's just not what the gospel is supposed to be. And that's not what the church is supposed to be. Like it should be freedom and community and goodness and truth and beauty. So the mission of bodies behind the bus is to give voice to those stories. So again, we can shine light on that stuff, educate ourselves, and then not keep doing it as the church. Like, how do we move forward out of this and not have more stories like this happening? So yes, exactly. High level. <laughs> yeah. I, and I feel like every December for the last few years, we've had these podcasts where we've talked about our spiritual journey for the last year. And and two years ago, we felt very spiritually homeless. And then last year, I was talking about some of the disappointments I had had with how the powers that be reacted to our book. And this year, you know, Rebecca and I are coming at it from a different standpoint where we're both in new churches and we're really are experiencing community. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. And so we want to tell people there is goodness out there. But so often when people are searching for that goodness, they get sucked into something that isn't good. And these yes. are the stories that I hear again and again. And I wanted to address one particular aspect of it, which is when people in a church are told that in order to belong, they have to go to some kind of a small group or a recovery group or a membership group or something where they are required as part of that membership to share a very, very private things. Yeah. And it can become really abusive. And I know I was trying to figure out who to talk to about this. And I know you, you've got some great stories on your podcast. Well, tragic stories of people that have been in really um, coercive and uncomfortable situations in some of these churches. And of course, you are looking specifically at Acts 29. For those who don't know, Acts 29 is a church network. It's non-denominational. It tends to be on the conservative side. It was started by Mark Driscoll until he was forced to resign and Matt Chandler now runs it. And he recently had to step down from his church. Although I think he's about to come back. Yep. Story, story of X 29. There's a lot of in and out of mm -hmm. the top level leaders. Um, and they're a really highly, like a lot of times dual affiliated with the SBC or um, nine marks. So it's kind of like that same, I just call it the young restless reformed umbrella. If you've read Jesus mm -hmm. and John Wayne, you know, like, on Twitter, we usually call it like Theo Bro. <laughs> right. And at X29 and at Nine Marks, so, so, um, which is another, uh, church network. So they're, they're kind of the same different ones, but they're very similar. One of the, those Nine Marks is, is the idea of this membership covenant, yeah. which very much comes forward into X29 churches too. And membership covenants, it's not just that you become a member of a church. Okay. I've been a member of a church many like at to different churches, whenever we move, you know, whatever, like I believe in being a member of a church, no problem. Yeah. But a membership covenant is something different. <laughs> it goes above and beyond. Do you want to explain what that is? 
You know, what's so wild looking back on membership covenants in general is like, I just thought that was part of like being at a church was you just signed a membership covenant until I've gotten out a little bit and zoomed out and seen like the wholeness of what the actual like historical churches. Mm -hmm. But in a, many of these spaces, a membership covenant is this document that you're signing. Sometimes like people will say some of them even hold some like legal weight, which is ridiculous to me mm -hmm. um where you're committing i will tithe this amount i will um like never sue the church which like all these things that sound i will never gossip i will never slander anyone mm -hmm. which on the surface you're like of course are you kidding like I, i'll sign anything i don't care like that does obviously not but then when we get into these high control spaces you realize like zoomed out would you ever do that for like signing up for a YMCA or something? Like, no, you're like, why are you making me do this? What is it that I need to sign away this right for? Yes. Um, so that's kind of where we see these membership covenants existing. If, does that make mm -hmm. sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, because because what what they're essentially saying is you're not allowed to badmouth us, so you can't gossip about us, you can't say anything negative, and and um, you agree that if you have any problems with the church, you will come to the elders and we will find you know a mutual agreement or we will get a mediator of the church's choice, you know. So so and they really... don't even want to let people go. So it's like we've seen even like church leaders. If you signed a membership covenant here, if you're like, I just want to fade quietly into the night, things are feeling weird here and I'm going to go to another church. We've had pastors or elders call the other church and be like, they're under our authority. This was not good. And like very messy. So we do see that often too. Yeah. And often too, when you, when you do sign a membership covenant, you're also signing, you need to look for wording. So please, if you've signed a membership covenant, or if you think you may have go to your church's website, because usually churches will have their membership covenants online and go look at what you signed. Cause you may not remember, but often there's a discipline, a church discipline language in it, which says that you agree to be under the church's discipline, but it doesn't say for what. And so the church, the pastor and the elders can put you under discipline at their own decision, whereas you are not given any power to hold the church accountable for anything. And the classic example of this is Karen Hinckley. Yep. This hit national news in 2015 out of the Village Church. I had never <laughs> even heard of Matt Chandler until, or the Village Church until 2015 when I saw this story hit the news and I couldn't believe it. But um, Karen Hinckley had been on the mission field with her husband for, I believe, six years. And while they were overseas, she found out that he had been using child porn. Um, or child, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that child sexual abuse materials. I think it's actually very important that we not say child porn, but say child sexual abuse materials. Yeah. I sometimes forget, but when we say child porn, we make it sound like it's porn for children. And no, this is, yeah. this is, um, children being sexually abused and we are yeah. watching it. And the Brits have called it that for ages and we North Americans need to catch up. So anyway, yeah. so he had been consuming child sexual abuse materials for, for many years. Um, and she found out that it predated their marriage. And so she felt like she had gotten married under false pretenses because he had not told her this. They returned to the U.S. They left the mission um, and she wanted an annulment and she filed for an annulment. But they had been members at the village church and the church allowed her husband to come to the church. So he was attending the church. I believe someone was walking around with him or whatever. I'm not sure how much supervision he had, but he was at the church. 
And they told Karen that she needed to go to marriage counseling with the elders so that they could reconcile. And Karen's like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. Forget it. I'm gone. And they didn't leave it at that. They continued to email her, harass her when she wouldn't respond, when she wouldn't do what they wanted. They actually sent an email to their members, I believe, and, and talked about this from the stage. Like they, they, they put her name through the mud (laughs) and that's when it hit national news. Um, that they were insisting that this woman who had been married to a man using child sexual abuse materials, that they were insisting that she reconcile with her husband. And she said, no, I don't even want to be a part of your church anymore. I am gone. Why are you still harassing me? And this is the problem is that when you sign a membership covenant, you say, I will not leave the church. Um, and some people have actually said this, this could be a legal document, as, as you said. Now, if you, if you are in a, um, a dispute with your church and you're worried that you may, that it may be a legal document, please, um, see a lawyer because they cannot stop you from speaking out about things, which could be illegal. So (laughs) especially, yeah. And even with that, um, we recently talked to, do you follow Robert Callahan? Yes. I saw that Instagram live you did with him. Yes. And he, had some really interesting things to say about this like church silencing language and how a lot of that doesn't actually hold weight in like the legal realm. So it's used as a fear tactic to keep you quiet or they'll say, Hey, this holds legal weight. But he's like, you can't marry like this over spiritualized language with actual like legal cases because it doesn't work. It's too vague to, it doesn't actually end up working that way. So if you have a church that's like trying to scare you into that or make you feel that way, seeking a lawyer that can be like, this doesn't hold any weight could actually free you from a lot of stress and Mm -hmm. anxiety surrounding that. Yes. Very good. So, so I just want to say again to listeners, you know, some of you may have signed membership covenants and this may have been presented as just normal at your church, but I want you to know that most denominations do not require anyone to sign a membership covenant. You can just declare, Hey, I want to be a member of the church. Maybe you go through a membership class. Maybe they have a little ceremony on a Sunday morning where they welcome all the new members and you shake people's hands. And that's really all there is. You don't have to sign a document saying that you agree to put yourself under church discipline, that you agree that if you ever have a problem with the church, you will not go to any authority or counselor or anything else that you will just go to. That That is just not normal in most churches, although it is normal in many of these conservative SBC megachurches. Yes, it is. (sighs) Which is scary. Okay. So that's about the membership covenant. So that's, that's one half of it, but then there's this other aspect which often goes hand in hand. And that's that when you join one of these, and they're often large churches, not always, but they're often large churches are part of these church networks where they have a certain way of doing small group or discipleship, where you are put under the leadership of your small group leaders And for instance, I remember hearing um, a close friend, well, she used to be a friend, ran a small group like this at one of the more high control, non-denominational church networks, similar to Mars Hill. It wasn't Mars Hill, but similar. And they, she and her husband led a small group in their home. And at the beginning of every small group, they would divide into men and women, and you were supposed to confess your sins for the week. Mm -hmm. And the leaders would keep track of the sins. Yeah. So that they could see how you were doing. And this sounds bizarre, 
<laughs> yes. But these were, these were, it was a professional couple. Yeah. In a normal Canadian large city yeah. in 2020. Like it, it's not, it's not something out of the boonies <laughs> in some strange, like this is, this is what is going on is that people are being told they need to confess their sins or even that they need to seek their small group approval for major decisions or financial decisions. Do you want to talk yeah. to that? Yeah. I mean, and I'll be honest as a part, so I came out of an Acts 29 church um, and my childhood was in a very fundamentalist church space, um, similar to like Grace, John MacArthur, Master's College, if you're aware of that. That's what I grew up in. Um, so I'm used to high control. So I've been a leader. I've been a small group leader in these spaces where you think you need to have vulnerability and you like we are we are going to be accountability for each other. So we got to tell each other everything. And I, I've, I've been on the side where you think that's the right way to do life together. I'm using air quotes, you know, it's like, we're all in and like, we know each other's dirty secrets and we're fighting for goodness with each other. Again, sounds so good on the outside. And there are some good aspects of it, but when it's forced and when there's requirements surrounding it, or even peer pressure surrounding it it's not good and healthy and i mean we've had some stories where um like there's people that are actually reporting back to the lead pastor or the elder team like what's going on and i will say after being in a staff context in one of these very unhealthy spaces that type of dialogue is very normal so someone that is maybe listening to this that's in a staff context like that would be like that's just a normal part of staff meeting. What's going on in your ministry? How's everybody doing? Is there anything we should be aware of? Is like the way this- Or is, is there anything we should pray for? Yeah, do we have any prayer requests? What's going on here? And so you're sharing these very intimate, vulnerable details as if it's a normal exchange at that level of ministry. And, and it's such a betrayal of trust for the people that you as a leader were we're entrusted with but also it's been normalized like this is just a part of these spaces and it's so unhealthy and a full other dynamic with that is like if we're asking these and a lot of times in these spaces it's like young men and women they're like 20 years old <laughs> leading a small group like tell me about your porn addiction and mm -hmm. let's the last time you masturbated right. what kind of porn do you watch yeah mm -hmm. right they're not qualified to be the people walking that but and i think this comes to a larger a larger conversation surrounding these types of groups is this is not where the church thrives. Mm -hmm. That's not where the church is good. Um, that's us stepping out of our lane. Like this is where we need to actually be just loving people, growing in trust and relationship with people, not requiring them to meet certain standards to be within community, especially not forced vulnerability or confession of sins. Or we've seen people have to do line by line for their budgets to get like financial help. And again, it's like a 22 year old dude going through this like married couple with five kids budget line by line like well you bought that bag of chips and then that's a whole other conversation too like who gets to to decide if the bag of chips is the thing that keeps them from 
getting financial help, right? But it's this whole buildup of this idea that like, we need to be outsourcing therapy. We need to be outsourcing professional services for a lot of these things. But we as the church, um, and I'm saying this a broad brush stroke, are saying we're the end all, we're the we're the stop, we're the last stop, like we can do everything. Mm-hmm. And so our way to do that is to have small groups or these weird recovery programs, stuff like that, where we hear all of the hard things you're dealing with. Some of them are clinical things that need to be dealt with in a clinical environment. And we're going to put spiritual language on it. We're going to put a bunch of controls around you and boundaries on you. We're going to fix you so that you fit here. And it's very, very dangerous and it's widespread. It's just normal. It's so normalized in these spaces. Yeah. And it's not even in those, those high control spaces. There's a church denomination that it really isn't part of acts 29, but they're really into certain biblical counseling materials. Um, and when, and there's one particular, a book study that if, if you go through it, I think it's the third meeting. You, everyone who's going through this book study is supposed to come and again, confess all their sins, like can, and, and talk about the major strongholds in their life. Now there is nothing wrong with confessing your sins to one another. Right. James 5, 16, I believe it is. Confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you will be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. I still know it in King James, but anyway. (laughs) So there's nothing wrong with confession, but confession should flow out of a relationship that is two way. Yes. Where there is genuine intimacy and accountability. Michael John Cusick, who wrote um, a really good book that I often recommend uh, regarding recovery from sexual sin. Um, He said he doesn't actually like uh, the word accountability because it's like sin management. So you tell on, you tell on yourself to me, and then I will make sure that I question you about all of your stuff, but it's, it's very surface. What he likes is accessibility instead which is when you're actually becoming vulnerable about what's really going on in your heart. So it's not just, I clicked on a bad porn site three times this week. It's really, I feel insecure. I feel alone. I'm really struggling, but also the other person is able to say that to, to you as well. And together you have this relationship where that is normal. Yes. (laughs) And that is much more normal one-on-one or maybe two-on-two than it is. You say something to this entire group. Yeah. which is very controlling. Yeah. And I mean, that is, I think, an indicator for anybody that is in a space like this, whatever denomination, whatever church you're in, if you're feeling like anxiety or a pressure to have to share something, I think that's a space where we need to listen to like our God-given like instinct and emotion and discernment there. Like, hey, this maybe isn't the right space for this, or this isn't safe or good. Like, what is the purpose for it too? You know, like why? And what is the end goal here? (laughs) Why are we making people stand up on a stage and confess all their sin? Again, confession is good. Confession is freeing. Um, But that has to happen in a relationship where where the other person or the people receiving the confession have earned trust. They're safe. Mm -hmm. You're not going to feel that this isn't safe. This isn't good feeling. You might feel, I mean, sin. Yeah. 
I, we, we could, there's all sorts of feelings to parse through, but yeah, you'll know if you're safe. Yeah. There's also, there's a psychological phenomenon where, um, when cults want to get you more in, Mm-hmm. So, you know, make you make you um, more emotionally um, connected to that cult, feel more invested in that cult. They make you do something which doesn't feel normal and which feels very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So confessing all your sins, for instance, because once you have done that, once you've crossed your own boundaries, it's like you have emotionally committed to this. And so you feel much more a part of it because now you have to justify to yourself why you did that. And so you say, well, because this is good for me, because this is my group. And so often when churches, especially high control churches are trying to get people in. So this even happens at the beginning, often of joining a life group, joining a small group. Um, I've seen many stories of people who have to bring their tax returns from the previous year or bring um, their latest pay stub and bring and do a detailed budget to share with the entire group so that everybody knows how much money everyone is making. So that if you need to make a decision about taking another job, or about making a major purchase, everybody else will tell you whether that's good or not. I'm kind of speechless at the idea of that. And it's and you're correct, like it is happening. And, and I think people might hear that and be like, how? does someone do that? Like, how do you get there where you're okay with that? And I think that's what's so sinister. And again, it's all clicks into this bigger picture, right? And that's spiritual abuse. Like this is coercion. This is this idea of if you want to be a part of of the kingdom of God, if you want to be a member of a church where we are on mission for God together, then you're going to like do this little uncomfortable thing. And like you said, I think that was a great way to phrase it. Like you're, you're crossing that boundary. And then what's the next boundary that crosses? And it's like chips away at your boundaries to the point where you get to this space where someone on the outside's like, how in the world did you ever <laughs> give your tax return <laughs> to this group of people? But little by little, you start doing that. And, and then you're also so invested because there's so much shame. And it's like all these people know all of this stuff about me. So a lot of times in these spaces, we aren't seeing like healthy, good flourishing coming from that. Like they're not using the the tax return for actual like healthy dialogue surrounding the next job, right? It's like ways to shame them or shame someone or put them in line. You know, you're not falling into this box of what we as a church believe. So you are now going under church discipline. We're going to, we're going to now have to walk through every purchase you make in order to make sure that you are following Jesus correctly, the way we think is correct. It's just, it's so dangerous. Yeah. And I, and again, I don't think people understand that this is happening in large numbers at so many of our largest churches. I know on your podcast, you've had a lot of stories of people who've been put under church discipline. Could you walk us through, I you, I don't want, you, you can't obviously mention any particular person's story, yeah. but what does that look like? If you could tell a combination of people's stories or a yeah. typical one. Or... You know, what's so sad is it's like almost every story has almost everything identical. It's like, you could like just 
put different names in and it's so similar every time and that's so sad because it's wild every time um oftentimes what we'll see is this idea of matthew 18 where maybe there's a sin they heard of or a sin that a leader is witnessing sometimes it's just that you were somebody that they don't like sometimes it's that you asked the wrong question somehow you stepped outside of the box that they want you to be in and so usually it will start with something like Matthew 18, where they'll come to you one-on-one. -on -one. Now we've come to you with two people and now we're bringing you before the church. And that can look like, uh, and wait, wait, what, so what has this person done? Like hypothetically, I know, I know Anna oh, from no God. Eden elsewhere. Um, uh, she writes about this quite a lot too. Like she yeah. talks about someone who wouldn't who wouldn't share their tax return and then went and bought a house without the home group's permission. Yeah. And, and this was, and this was deemed bad. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of people that have had this happen to them because they, they said your book was great. <laughs> you know? Actually. Yes, I do. I get emails about that as well. Or people who have posted on Facebook yep. about my book have been put under church discipline. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, hey, if you're not willing to take down this Facebook post, I mean, not even just your book, but we see this about politics. Like, hey, ooh, you know what? You said something against Trump and that is not something, or you were pro-immigrant. Like, it's like, if you have some of these more, uh, it's depressing to say it, like progressive ideals mm -hmm. um, politically, I will see people get put under church discipline. And it really, that's also what's, upsetting about these situations kind of going back to that analogy i gave of like the line by line like oh you gave that bag you bought a bag of chips and like that doesn't seem like the most nutritional thing in my opinion so we're not going to give you this financial help but we're going to give this person financial help because they bought an apple uh right. it's like just like very wh whatever the person thinks on that day of the week could affect there's no clear boundaries. Um, and if there are clear boundaries, they're completely inappropriate, in my opinion, in most of these cases, um, oversteps. So if someone ends up in this, it could be as simple as a phone call. Hey, I saw you posted this on Facebook. I think that it could be causing dissension within our community. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you to take that down. And I really need you to think about why you would ever want to cause dissension in this community. Like what in you is making you want to do that what's your heart behind this um and then if the person's like hey you know i hear you i don't think this is that's not my heart behind it this is my personal social media i'm gonna go ahead and leave it up because it's my personal social media and why are you asking this of me then it's like oh we're gonna come now with like either your small group leader and the pastor or even sometimes the elders the elders are going to come bring you in. Hey, we know so-and-so had this conversation with you and asked you to take that down and, and you've chosen not to. So there's a, now a pattern of sin here because you're not like submitting to the spiritual authority over you. So now we're, we're coming to you as a group and appealing to you out of love. It's because we love you. We want to see you submit to our authority. Um, side note, it's not biblical authority. It's their made up version of authority that you need to fit into, right? And then finally, if, you, if you're like me, <laughs> you're still saying, no, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. This doesn't, this isn't reflected in the Bible. Can you help me get there? Then you get to kind of where Karen Hinckley got, which is 
now we're going to inform the entire membership. And oftentimes the rhetoric, um, an example that I was given as a child that I've heard a lot of people have been given this example is this idea of when you get to this point of church discipline, you're kicking them out and the Bible says, treat them as an unbeliever. Right. But what we're doing in these churches is this idea of a rubber band. So we're not going to talk to them anymore. We are not going to be in community with them in any way. And they're going to be like a rubber band that's being, you're holding the one end and they're the other end. And they're walking away and they're feeling that tension between losing you and them walking away. And because you're rooted in God, they're going to snap back to God one day because they're going to realize like what they're missing out on, which is so sad because we shouldn't be treating unbelievers that way. We shouldn't be treating <laughs> anyone that way. It doesn't make sense. But this is how church discipline is happening in these spaces. It's public humiliation. It's complete shunning. And it actually fits a lot of the checkboxes for cults. Yeah. I mean, I had Natalie Hoffman on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she was talking about being excommunicated uh, from Bethlehem Baptist Church, where John Piper used to be pastor. Um, she was excommunicated when she left her abusive husband and she had tried to work with the elders to get them. Like she desperately wanted the elders to help her with her abusive marriage. And they told her she was the problem. And when she didn't listen and she left, they actually publicly, they had a church meeting <laughs> where they publicly excommunicated her. Um, she was not there. Other people just reported on this afterwards because she wasn't allowed in, but I don't believe anyway. Um, but they, they did, they did talk about all of her sins. And I know that this sounds really bizarre to most people. And I hope it sounds really bizarre. If you're listening, this shouldn't be what church is like, <laughs> No, but we are getting more and more like this. I didn't see this 20 years ago in church, especially not in Canada. But I am seeing it now in many of the, especially non-denominational movements and the more conservative churches where there's a real emphasis, yes, on, on membership covenants, on church discipline, and on needing um, to, to get rid of all boundaries. <laughs> yeah. And like, how, how is this what we're okay with in the church? Mm-hmm how did we get here and why are we going to continue to allow this to go this direction right because the reality is you're you're right it is growing there's a growing movement of it but i do also think there are a growing number of voices like yours that are speaking up and saying no this is not good this is not god this is not biblical and so like the hope is as as people hear things like your podcast in this episode that they're able to say, whoa, <laughs> this is going on in my church and these are the consequences of it. It could be you. I'm just going to be quite like frank with you. It could be you. If you're in this church, you rub someone the wrong way. You ask someone the wrong question. You don't think it could be you, but it could be you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I want to emphasize too, again, we are not saying there's anything wrong with accountability. We are not saying there's anything wrong with confessing your sins to each other. We are not saying there is anything wrong, even with telling a close friend how much money you make and asking for someone to walk you through financial decisions. Those are all very good things, but you need to look at the context of that because true accountability cannot be forced. 
it grows naturally out of relationship. And I think what we've done is we have said accountability is a hallmark of the Christian life. Therefore, we're going to we're going to force accountability as opposed to saying accountability naturally grows out of healthy, intimate Christian relationships. Yes. <laughs> and those things are necessary first. It's not that accountability creates healthy, intimate relationships. It's that healthy, intimate relationships create safe accountability. The, and, and I think with that, we have created this dynamic that people feel they owe these things to their church leaders, or they owe this level of vulnerability to their small group or their church community. And if you feel like you owe it, and mm -hmm. it's not out of a space of like, love and like an overflow like you're talking about of a relationship that is healthy and good and trustworthy that's not godly that's not good no that's yucky that's really yucky and really dangerous yeah it really that's is how we get people drinking kool-aid at the end of the day you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> this is where it sounds wild but the end of if you keep giving away boundaries these people get more and more say, and it's this person say, it's not God say. Mm -hmm. And a trustworthy shepherd, a trustworthy leader is not forcing you to fit in their box. They're on a journey with you and shepherd you, shepherding you into the ways of God. You know, mm -hmm. like there's a, it's good. And if you, Sheila, if you wrong me and we get to the point where we're publicly like, well, here's the deal. Here's all the facts. Like Sheila wronged Jonna. Uh, is it best to just be like, so cut her off everybody. Nobody <laughs> talk to Sheila. She is a wolf, you know, like all this stuff. No, like the idea is if we're in church community, we're like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. And I'm so broken that this is where we're at. Like, how can I care for you? And how can I walk through this with you? How can I earn your trust so that yeah. we can have a relationship where I can say, you wronged Jonna or Jonna wronged you. And like, let's come together out of trust and reconcile and rebuild and see beautiful things happen out instead of the tearing down, you know, like, Oh, it's just exactly. And I think too, here's, here's another um, test for those who are listening. Ask yourself if you're in a, a situation where you are being encouraged, forced, pressured, whatever the word is to reveal very personal details to people in your church. Is that two way? Mm -hmm. Like, are you revealing things to leaders who then can reveal it to pastors and others? where you are not hearing from them mm -hmm. because what often happens is a very unbalanced relationship. Um, I, I don't know if people understand this either, but if you seek biblical counseling from your church, so if your church offers biblical counseling and biblical counseling, let me reiterate is a specific field and type of counseling. It doesn't mean Christian counseling based on biblical principles. Mm -hmm. It biblical counseling. I wish it was called something else because it's like they've stolen a name and made yeah. themselves sound like something they're not. Biblical counseling is, is a specific field and type of counseling where they believe that the Bible is all you need. And we don't look at psychological research. We don't look at medical research. Um, and we, we see everything through the lens of sin and faith. 
Uh, so anxiety for, is a belief issue is a quote from Nancy Lee DeMoss, and that would perfectly summarize biblical counseling. So anxiety is a, is a belief issue. It's not something which you may just struggle with or depression, et cetera. Anyway, if you if, if your church has biblical, a biblical counseling program and you seek out biblical counseling through your church, now your church may have licensed counselors, which would be different, yeah. but most churches have biblical counselors if they offer counseling. If you look at the consent form that you sign for that biblical counselor, I can almost guarantee you that they say that they are permitted to speak about what you say to the pastor or to previous counselors or to those that they think they need to speak to about it. Yep. So what you share in counseling isn't private. You are signing away your privacy. Licensed counselors are not allowed to speak about what you disclose, unless you disclose something which is criminal, or you disclose something where you may be a harm to yourself or others. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> biblical counselors do not have any privacy requirements. And not yeah. just that, they specifically say that they can share this stuff with your pastors, your small group leaders, etc. And they're convinced that it's good to do that. Yeah. I really think that. And and it's just such a lack of discipleship and education for all of us, to be honest with you, you know, but I mean, even people, maybe your church has like a formal biblical counseling program, like you're talking about, but oftentimes we even see leaders as just like the pastor says, I'll do counseling for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just, you know, or like, Hey, do you want to meet with, so do you want to meet with Jane? You know, she, she could do some counseling for you. She's had, she's walked through like a couple, she's had two kids. She could for sure handle this, you know? <laughs> and I mean, we have seen people put on staffs specifically to get the pulse of like, to be the ear on the ground for pastors. Like literally they are paid position to intake the hardships of the people in the body and then to give it back to the pastor and it's framed in a way like so i am aware of how i can shepherd this church but really what that's doing is building up this list of things where if that person questions that authority at any point step out of that box at any point they have this whole list of stuff where they can say well really if you're gonna say that like well how can we trust your judgment when we know xyz ABCDEFG, you know what I mean? Like they, mm -hmm. it's, it's not being used for goodness. It's actually being used to coerce people and it's really damaging. Yeah. I remember um, when James McDonald had to uh, resign from Harvest Bible Chapel when he was fired or kicked out from Harvest Bible Chapel, it came out that the soul care biblical counseling ministry at Harvest Bible, that he was weaponizing the counseling sessions. He was getting the counselors to tell him about specific people's problems and sins so that he could use it against them. So, you know, this is, this is very dangerous stuff. Now, <laughs> this is not every church yes. in North America. This is not even most churches in North America, but it is often the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. It is often the big mega churches, <laughs> the not the huge non-denominational networks. Mm -hmm. It is often the most conservative ones. And we just want you to know, because what so often happens is people grow up in these networks, maybe they move to another t town, they go to a similar church, and this is really all they've ever known. Yeah. 
And I just want you to know, everyone listening, this is bizarre. <laughs> yes, it is bizarre. Like, as someone who grew up in church my entire life, I have never been in a church where anybody said, you need to show your tax return in order to come to this small group. I have never been in a small group where anyone said, you need to come next week prepared to confess your sins. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm, if, if you're that person that Sheila's talking to right now, please hear me say, I was you. I had a worship leader call me the day I was fired, very spiritually abusive situation. You can actually hear it on episode two of Bodies Behind the Buzz if you would like <laughs> to hear that story. And she looked at me in the eye and she said, Jonna, there, and it's a woman, which I loved. I, this is the first time I ever had a female spiritual leader in my life. I was completely taught that that was just not a thing. And she said, Jonna, there is a gigantic, beautiful world out there for you in ministry in the church. And you've been taught to believe that everything is in this tiny little space. And that's not the church. There's a gigantic church out there that is just excited to welcome you in. And hey, it's been a journey. I'm still on that journey. But the freedom that I have felt realizing that that the space that I grew up in, the space where I experienced this coercive, shame-filled, guilt-ridden faith journey that I had been on was not the only version of church. Like there is a beautiful, free, grace-filled, God-honoring church out there. So if that's you hearing Sheila right now and you're like, well, we're theologically superior, <laughs> you know? <laughs> What if the fruit is rotten? If you're in a space where you are living in constant fear, if you're in fear of doing the wrong thing or falling out of God's graces, if you're in fear that like God is angry at you, then you're not in a good place. Like that is not God. He looks at you. You're the apple of his eye. He loves you. And these spaces are not growing that in you. They're not encouraging you and helping you flourish in that. They're shrinking you down and not celebrating your Imago Day. Exactly. And this is the Christmas season. <laughs> we celebrate Emmanuel God with us. Yes. And I just pray that other people who are really struggling with what authentic Christian worship and community should look like that more and more people will find it. And that likely means that a lot of us are going to have to leave the unhealthy places that we are. We are living through a time, whatever can be shaken will be shaken. And Jesus is shaking his church. Yes. In a way that we haven't seen since 1500. I, I really believe we're going through another reformation. I hope so. I love when it. He is separating the sheep and the goats. And he is separating those who are concentrating on power and hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And he is trying to preserve and save the remnant who is focused on love and service and just, and just viewing our mission in the same way that Jesus did. And so maybe God is making you restless right now. You, I just want to tell you as someone who has gone through this too, and John, did as well. Don't fear the restlessness. Mm -mm. Because there is real beauty on the other side. Yes. 
And sometimes we have to go through that restlessness to find it. So Jonna, I'm sure we have piqued so many people's interest because they're like, I never knew this was a thing. So um, why don't you tell us where we can find you and where people can, and what people can expect on your podcast? Yeah. So again, um, I co-host Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. You can find us everywhere you stream a podcast and you're going to expect to be extremely uncomfortable. You might expect to hear a story that you are finding words for something that you didn't even have words yourself for yet in somebody else's story. And I think you're going to expect to wrestle a lot while you listen to them. Like, wait a second. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that they're naming that this was wrong because I've been conditioned to believe this is how I have to exist. And again, just Jay said something so profound the other day, and that's who my co-host is. He said something like, Jesus wants to sit with you in your story. He's not trying to change you. He's not trying to make you fit into whatever box that was. He wants to sit with you in it. He's not afraid of it. And he's for your goodness. So as you grow with him out of that safety of him sitting in your story, that's the kind of thing that Bodies Behind the Bus is about. Or about mm-hmm. sitting in the story and caring for somebody in the midst of it. He loves you right where you're at right now in the midst of this story. And how exciting is it to see what comes next, right? Like, Amen. here's the story for right now, but God's not done with you. God's not done with you. So yeah, prepare to be uncomfortable, but there's a lot of beautiful redemption that is happening in our little, our little corner of the podcast world as well. Yes. And, and, and in the corner of the evangelical world, because I think more and more people are waking up. So we will put um, links to the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast, to their Instagram. John has done some great Instagram lives. You can go back and watch them. And then also I'll put links to the Karen Hinckley story in case I got some details wrong. You can go check that out. And the blog No Eden Elsewhere as well covers a lot of these stories of membership covenants, as does the Wartburg Watch. So we will put links to all of that fun stuff. You can go on lots of rabbit trails. And, and please, people, please. Let's not let our hungry people steal the church. We are the body of Christ. They can't steal the church. Exactly. Jesus might be shaking a lot of stuff, but Jesus is not shaking. And so that's who we're, that's who we're seeking. And that's who we're clinging to right now. And I hope that for all of you, thank you so much for having me. We can do this for another four hours. I'm sure we could just go on. (laughs) I appreciate you so much. And thank you for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it. I do love Jonna, and I hope that you will check out her podcast, Bodies Behind the Bus. It's wonderful. And now I would like to bring on a licensed psychologist who specializes in spiritual abuse and cultural abuse. Uh, here is Dr. Feluso Salarin. I am so glad to bring on the Bear Marriage Podcast, Dr. Felicia, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and who is a specialist in um, spiritual abuse and trauma. So Dr. Felicia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Sheila. I really appreciate it. Now you reached out to me because you saw what I was talking about and you're like, oh my goodness, I completely track with you. So (laughs) tell us, Uh, Tell us, before we get into the conversation of how this relates to marriage and everything, how do you define spiritual abuse? Okay, so spiritual abuse is, and its broadest definition is somebody 
misusing their spiritual authority, right? So it's, it's a misuse of spiritual authority. And that authority is used to harm the individuals who are being abused. And the way that spiritual abuse works is that it, it oftentimes um, is manifested when the spiritual abuser is trying to control the person who is being abused and uh, you know, trying to basically override their will. Right. And so that's usually that's that's one form of abuse. A lot of times people think of spiritual abuse happening in major obvious ways, such as in cults, um, you know, very drastic ways where people are very isolated mm -hmm. from their family. You see these big changes, but oftentimes spiritual abuse can be quite subtle. And so, you know, people who have experienced spiritual abuse sometimes are in situations where they are being abused by others and they're looking to their, you know, their their church congregation to step in and help. And so when they don't, when they either, um, you know, when they just say, well, you know, this is your problem because you're in sin or whatnot, and they mm -hmm. don't use their authority to help, but they take a passive, right. like hands-off approach, that is also spiritual abuse. And so oftentimes people are, when they're in these situations, experience another level of abuse because they're being shamed, told the abuse is their fault, and then encouraged or even mandated to go back to that abusive situation. Right. Now, what about, yeah. um, what about spiritual trauma? Is that, is that different from abuse? Obviously it's like a, it's a byproduct of abuse, but can people have spiritual trauma even if they haven't overtly been abused? <laughs> Oh, much. Yes, definitely. So by um, being in, you know, the a spiritually abusive environment can and oftentimes creates trauma for those involved, people watching other people being harmed, that can be traumatic for somebody um, to see, you know, so for instance, if they're hearing threats from the pulpit, if they are seeing people who they know need help, and her being, you know, turned away or shamed, that can be abusive because they, you know, someone who may not be experiencing it directly wonders about their own value and wonders what can happen mm -hmm. to them, how this isn't a safe place. They know it mm -hmm. and they feel it physically as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know, let me give you an example. I know I was in, um, I was in a church situation where I was uh, leading a praise team. This okay. was probably 15, 20 years ago. It was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was leading a praise team and the church deacons board didn't feel that it was okay for me to pray between songs or say something like one Sunday, I think the first Sunday I led between the songs, I said, before you sing this next song, picture the things that you came into church stressed with okay. and picture yourself, you know, leaving them at the foot of the cross and look mm -hmm. to Jesus as you sing this next song. Like, that's all I said. I, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a sermon. It wasn't a huge thing. It was just like, leave right. your burns at the foot of the cross and sing the song. And they debated for a year, whether I was allowed to do that because I was a woman oh, wow. and there were, and there were three other praise team leaders. Cause we had four praise teams. Um, and they were all led by men and, it was, yeah, it, it was a really difficult time. And I don't think it was until probably two years ago that I recognized how much trauma I went through with that because I had to get up every month and lead a team and act like I was happy, but at the, but I knew everyone there was going to be watching every single word I said. Wow. And sometimes I think we go through things like that and we don't even realize it at the time, how much yeah. it's taking out of us. Yes, I can, you know, I'm sorry you went through that and I can imagine, you know, how not only how difficult that must be, but the sense of sort of 
um, you know, what you say has res resonates with a lot of other people who have been in similar situations where they feel um, mm -hmm. devalued through no fall of their own. And because we are, you know, we, we are, we automatically, we tend to assume the best of our spiritual leaders. We look to them as mm -hmm. speaking, you know, on behalf of God, it can be challenging and it can be anxiety provoking to say, well, I don't agree with this, or I'm going to go against this. You know, in spiritual abuse, mm -hmm. we hear language often being weaponized. So somebody who says, well, I don't agree, or can you explain more can be labeled as divisive, sowing discord, mm -hmm. um, rebellious, mm -hmm. things like yes. that. So in, in that situation, you know, I don't want to just speak for what you went through, but you likely felt, hey, you know, this is an authority telling me that to do this, I'm just going to go along and going through the motions, but inside probably not feeling all that great. And then not realizing later, something wasn't right about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think one of the issues with church situations too, is that many women have told me it's in church where I have felt the most devalued. Yeah. It's in church where I have felt um, the most judged and it shouldn't yeah. be like that. But have you seen that happen with your clientele? Yes, definitely. Um, that, that has been the case. And the part that makes it the most I wouldn't say the most, but a part that can make that very painful is because of our expectations. We expect to be, um, you know, to be welcomed in church, to be valued for who, you know, to be valued as God's creation. I'm not saying that, you know, because you go to church, you should just be allowed to do anything and get away with anything. But the place where, you know, <laughs> church, we don't, we don't associate church and feeling shamed and devalued. We have higher expectations as we should. I mean, if we look in the Bible, um, the Bible mm -hmm. talks about, you know, what are some of the expectations of us as members and as well as leaders. And so for someone to feel constantly shamed and constantly devalued is not, is not a good thing at all. And I want to stress too, we're not saying that all churches are like this, right? No, <laughs> like, not at all. Like, not at all. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love yeah. the church. I think church is wonderful. And there are lots of very good experiences uh, that I know a lot of people have had, but it's very important also to bring awareness because you don't, mm -hmm. because you know, when we think about spiritual abuse, um, people who have been in situations like that often say that they feel that the needs of the leader, protecting the reputation mm -hmm. of the leader and um, their mm -hmm. feelings come above those of the congregants. And that's not the model the Bible shows. And so it's really important that we are looking out for the sheep, for people who are attending church and using um, mm -hmm. and, and being able to value their well-being as well. And so that's really important. This is not a, you know, like you said, mm -hmm. not a church, church bashing session, but there are some very harmful things. It's kind of like what you said before in one of your uh, podcasts about the, you know, the thalidomide effect, right? And so maybe there were plenty of mm -hmm. babies that were fine when they, when their mothers took thalidomide. Thalidomide is a, is a drug that can have um, teratogenic effects, basically meaning that children can come from the womb with missing limbs and all these mm -hmm. horrible birth defects. And so some may be fine, right? But then others, when they do go through it, it's very devastating. And there are people that are walking away from their faith, from the Lord, from Christianity because of spiritual mm -hmm. abuse and trauma. Right. Now, I, I want to help our, our listeners to understand this because I think there's been so much talk 
about spiritual abuse in the news, especially when it relates to sexual abuse. So, you know, when a pastor is using a pastor, a leader, whatever is using their position to sexually abuse, to coerce women into whatever situation. And we've, we've had many, many, many high profile things about that. Um, Ravi Zacharias, Carl Lentz, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that isn't the only kind of abuse. You think about Mark Driscoll, for instance, yeah. um, who was let go, or James McDonald, both of whom were let go from their the megachurch system that they founded because they had an abusive style of leadership. And that abusive style of leadership is not limited to megachurches. You can have an abusive leader in a very small church. Yes, <laughs> um, it's true. But can you, you, you were saying, you know, sometimes it can be what they say in the pulpit. Can you give us an example or several of, of what that would look like if someone is being abusive from the pulpit? Uh, so one example I can think of that I've heard of personally with some people is perhaps when they go for counseling with, um, they're, they're going to counseling and there's that expectation of confidentiality. And so maybe they go to a pastor or they go to a leader and they explain a situation that's close to home, a, a deep personal situation there. There's the expectation of confidentiality, right? And then maybe mm-hmm. they hear their story being retold from the pulpit in a shaming way. So for instance, maybe, you know, a woman is having um, some postpartum issues and she's having real difficulty connecting with her children and her husband. She goes to get counseling for that. And then Mm -hmm. from the pulpit, they'll hear, they might hear something like, oh, you know, women nowadays really need to um, snap back after having their kids. And, you know, you have other responsibilities. You have a husband that needs you, you have other kids that need you. And so, but basically the woman in that congregation would understand that that was her story being told mm-hmm. and she's being indirectly shamed. Maybe the pastor did not use her name, but she's like, oh, you know, I was just there mm-hmm. seeing them a few days ago about this. And now I'm being labeled as a bad mother and a bad, mm-hmm. you know, wife, um, you know, something along the lines of that, maybe a couple talking about some sexual issues, you know, after postpartum, Mm -hmm. the postpartum period, and then the pastor saying something along the lines of, well, women, women should always be sexually available to their husbands, no matter what, and don't use childbirth as an excuse, something along those lines. And so Mm -hmm. that is a way of, even if nobody else knows that they had that conversation, she understands that that was an attack Mm -hmm. against her. Um, Sometimes people do use names that can, um, you know, they may not use names, but they don't conceal the information. So everybody knows who the pastor or the leader mm-hmm. is talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Threats are another way as well too. Um, you know, so saying, if you don't do this or you don't do this, things that maybe may not be related to salvation, external factors that the leader has put above the mm-hmm. word of God, like maybe serving a certain number of hours a week or giving a certain amount of money to the church. If you don't do X, Y, and Z, you're going to have some very bad things happen to you in life. Right. Yeah. That is very manipulative. And again, yes, manipulation is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And trying to control you yeah. because we should give and serve joyfully because that's something God has called us to do, not under threat of um, mm-hmm. punishment or retaliation. Mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of women who have been reading my books, listening to the podcast, and they're starting to realize there's some major issues in their church. Uh, Often it's the way that the church views women or the way that the church handles abuse or divorce, anything like that. And they just feel like I can't trust my pastor anymore. I feel empty when I go to church. 
but their husband doesn't feel that way. And that's a really difficult thing to say. I get, I get that question all the time. What do I do when I really don't like our church anymore, but my husband thinks it's great. Do you have any words of wisdom for them? Definitely. I mean, first of all, continue, you know, to the pray and ask God for wisdom and while you're praying and asking for God for wisdom, also take action. One of some of the action steps I recommend are document everything. You know, sometimes we can, we can see situations differently, but if we have um, cold, hard facts to back up what we're saying, it's, it's important. So something along the lines of, um, you know, writing, if, if it's when someone said that their, their situation doesn't feel safe, what about it? doesn't make you feel safe? Is it the way other members are treating you? Sometimes we see in spiritually abusive situations that it's um, somebody who is in the, the, the recipient of abuse feels very isolated. And so being given the silent treatment by others because they spoke up, it, it can be very subtle. And so that's why it's very important to document. So for instance, we could say something like, I was in a conversation with three different women and I spoke to them and none of them really acknowledged me. I felt like I was being ignored. Um, they might, mm-hmm. someone, you know, just, just facts or maybe so-and-so walked by, I said hi to them, they looked at me and they did not respond. And I know they saw me, this happens week after week. Mm-hmm. That's important because mm-hmm. abuse can also happen in silent treatment type situations or ignoring the person and shunning them right so they're not we're not going to kick you out but mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that you feel unwelcome here um something along the lines mm-hmm. of there was a meeting the other day i wasn't i was given an hour notice before i had to attend when i attended this was what was said to me take notes i think that's really important so that you have an objective factual record of what you're experiencing and then also talk mm-hmm. about how it's affecting you I'm having difficulty sleeping. I feel anxiety when I step in the church building. My hands are shaking. I don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And it's really important because if one person doesn't feel valued as part of a family in a church system, then I wonder how worth it is for everyone to keep going because whatever the woman or whoever it is, it could be men as well being abused, it's going to affect the whole family system. Yeah. Like you matter, <laughs> you matter. Yes. And it's okay. It's okay. It if you're not, if you're not comfortable, that should matter. I know a lot of parents too. Um, they may start even sometimes the husband and wife are on the same team and they, they don't think the church is teaching what is healthy from the pulpit. They're not sure that they even believe some of the doctrines of the church anymore. They still love Jesus. I, yes. I get these notes all the time. You know, we still love Jesus, but we just can't buy into this view of, of sexism or how they handle race or, or whatever it might be, but our kids are really, really happy in the youth group yeah, and our I kids are, or our kids too. are really, really happy in Sunday school. Um, what would you suggest to parents like that? Well, I wonder, you know, it's, it's, that's tough. And I don't, I, I don't want to say do X or do Y. What I would ask them to do is to see if they're concerned. I mean, kids can be really happy in a particular situation, but the types of doctrine that are being espoused from the pulpit, I, I would ask, is this only in the adult situations or is it mm-hmm. leaking over to children's church and youth group? Because chances are there may be some sprinklings of that in there as well. So really take an investigative approach and see 
and, and first of all, see what the kids are being exposed to. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. it is the case and sometimes it's not, but perhaps try and work out something where, you know, maybe if the kids are meeting on a separate day, um, you know, sometimes if like a youth group is meeting on a weekend or something a lot, you know, something like that, parents can go to a different church and then there's kids can still be part of the youth group. Sometimes I've seen situations like that work, mm -hmm. but it's really important to take a very measured objective response mm -hmm. to see how this is affecting everybody. And, you know, yeah. as a... Um, I understand that our children's well-being is it's important. It's it's um, we want to make sure that they feel valued. But again, if the system isn't in agreement, the family system is in agreement, and there's some challenges from one end, then we may have to evaluate. Well, what if we were to try something else out for a while? Maybe they could be happy somewhere else. It's important to just not put any option off the table. Right. Exactly. Okay. Another another scenario that I get a lot <laughs> is. Oh, couples or women or whoever it might be, somebody in the family will say, okay, so I've realized that certain books are harmful or I've realized certain teachings are harmful. And I went to my pastor and they completely blew me off. Mm. You know, I went to my pastor yeah. with really good argument. I had, I had documentation of what was wrong with this book. I was really well-prepared and they blew me off. Now, okay. obviously it's okay for pastors to not agree with everybody. Like not, yes. you know, you're not always going to agree with everything on your with your pastor. But if this is something that's important to you, what should we expect from our pastors if they're okay. healthy? Um, great question. What we would expect from them is, you know, what would we expect from ourselves? So if we put ourselves in that situation, maybe you're a teacher or have, having some sort of leadership position and someone comes to you with concerns, it's very important to make sure that those concerns are validated and you are looking at it. You can, you are able to, empathize and see the concerns from their point of view. So for mm -hmm. instance, if you're going to the pastor and saying, I'm having these concerns, the goal of the meeting isn't for one person to say, well, you have to do things my way or you have to do things my way, but understand what are the concerns that are the root of the issue. So for some of those marriage books that you talked about, it, it's they, they don't value women really or men because of the harmful teachings and they and and um, and and talk about it from the perspective of, what can we, what is the common ground that we can establish from here? So maybe the pastor may decide that they still want to keep the book as a part of her curriculum, but they also understand why that teaching is harmful. So it's really important. I don't want to say that you shouldn't focus on a goal because the, you know, the, the books, so for instance, if your goal is to say, look, I really don't feel comfortable with these books being in the church, that shouldn't be the only goal. We don't want to just be laser focused on that. It's really important to understand the mechanism behind the books and the overall harmful teaching mm -hmm. um, that made you harm to members and leaders. And so if you look at it from the perspective of how does this affect the well-being of us all as a church and go into that from, from that perspective, I think it would be very helpful and also assume good intentions you know say you could talk to the pastor about how you know that they're invested in the spiritual growth of their members they want to see them do well they want to make sure that they're all valued and this this doesn't seem to to accomplish that goal um they might mm -hmm. say well what do you have that's better you know what sort mm -hmm. would you recommend instead of, so i think it's also good to have other viable solutions as well and coming at it mm -hmm. from that perspective of collaboration instead of, um, you know, competition or being antagonistic. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, people are on journeys and maybe your pastor is just learning as well. This might be the first time they've ever heard about this. So yes, <laughs> I, yes. I know, I know people have gone to pastors and look, I'm really concerned about this. And the pastor's like, well, I don't see it, but if you keep at it, you know, <laughs> and, and you say like, I'm really on the same page now, sometimes the church, you just can't do it anymore. And you've given the pastor lots of chances, but a lot of people are on journeys. And I think it's important that we do honor them. Okay. I know one of the things that you're very passionate about though, we've talked about things I'm passionate about. Now let's, let's do do what you're passionate about, which is what happens um, in a, in a much more um, significant or dangerous situation where let's say a woman is being abused at home and she goes to the church for help. And the church basically blames her for it or, or tells her that she needs to go back to her husband or she needs to submit or she's being rebellious or, or something like that. Yes. It's really important. I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to um, anybody who's ever been in that situation. It's very important that you're not looking to the church as your only sort of defense or protection. It's really important that, uh, and it's very important that if anyone who's who's listening to this is in that sort of situation that you get the proper authorities involved, um, calling your domestic abuse hotline, national domestic abuse hotline, or um, uh, one for your county or wherever you are, make sure that you call that number and get outside authorities involved. Because when you're in a situation like that, you oftentimes have probably been, you've been isolated by the abuser. And then also it's, if the church system is telling you to go back to them, it's clear that they don't have your best interest at heart. So it's very important to get an outside party involved, somebody who's removed from the system, who can say, and look at this and say, this is not normal. This is not healthy. You need to get help and you need to get help mm-hmm. right away. Um, and understanding that in a lot mm-hmm. of the, in many of these situations, scriptures are twisted. They're taking a particular verse out of isolation and, and using it to demean you. You know, there, um, Leslie Vernick has talked about this too in her books that all the, there aren't just certain verses that, that in the Bible that only apply to marriage or other verses in the Bible just don't stop being relevant because you're in a marriage situation. Mm -hmm. So verses that talk about how we're important to God, how we should cry out to justice for him, how our safety, we should guard ourselves seeing danger and running. There's a verse Mm -hmm. in that about Proverbs. Those verses don't just stop because you're in a marriage situation. And so it's very important that we are understanding the Bible for itself and not believing verses that are just taken out of, you know, in isolation and out of context mm-hmm. to weaponize, to use against you. Now, I know you have a big counseling practice and I would imagine that a lot of the people that you talk to and help are people where they loved their church. They were yes. involved in their church their whole life. That was so much a part of their identity. And when they realized they couldn't do it anymore and they had such trauma. It feels like you've lost your whole life. Oh, and and for many people that is their whole life. I mean, they've grown up there. They've raised their, if they're um, mothers, they've raised their children. Their fathers, they've raised their children. Um, If they're, they, it, it oftentimes works where it appears that that to them, that this is my whole life, where all my friends are, all my social connections, major life mm-hmm. events have been connected to that church and congregation. So when, if they do decide to step away, there is a major grieving, there's loss, there's shame, because often the, the stories that I keep hearing over and over again is that nobody reached out to me, nobody checked on me to see how I was doing 
when I stopped coming or whether they saw this happened. And so that can be very isolating and compound the already existing feelings of sadness and guilt and um, shame from the ex- abuse that they experienced. Mm-hmm. How, what, how do you help people get over that or, or process that? I guess that's maybe a better way to put it. Right. Well, first of all, creating a safe, non-judgmental space for them to process that and understanding that this is this is not normal what happened to me. This was not normal and this was not right. This is not a, how a healthy church system is supposed to function because many times people don't realize this until later. And so there's this doubting of, well, can there, uh, I, I see a lot of shame saying, oh my goodness, how did I end up in a situation like this? I should have known better. But what people don't understand is that people who abuse other people, they're very systematic. They can be systematic about it. They target. There's also grooming, just like child abusers um, groom their, um, groom the people they abuse. That can happen in spiritual situations as well. Um, And Mm -hmm. so helping them recover from that shame and understand this is not because you were stupid or because you lacked insight or because of a moral failure on your part, right? And help, so helping them understand these are, and also helping them re- reframe their experience, right? So when you're in a spiritually abusive situation, there are kind of like a toxic family, there's certain rules that are espoused. So anybody who criticizes is a bad, if you, if you bring up a, a criticism or a concern, you're a bad person, you're divisive. Um, mm-hmm. Things like charisma over character is another big one. So as long as you're charismatic your care and, and charming, your character doesn't matter. Or another message that someone may get is that my needs are less important than that of a leader. God doesn't value me. So we rework we, we, we identify those rules and, and identify those system lies and then step out in courage in defiance of them and say, well, no, I can, God values me. I have worth. I can speak up courageously. And that does not mean I'm a bad person. God sees what happens to what happened to me. Um, God is concerned about the justice being justice being done in this situation. Um, also, helping them understand that going through a really challenging situation like that, it's normal to be mistrustful um, and say, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to just jump into this situation and not feel shame for that. That's actually good because now your (laughs) antenna are up about potentially spiritually abusive situations. So we learn how to navigate that in a healthy way. Skills that you have now, there are going to be new skills that you learn from emerging from that, um, difficult and traumatic situation. So how to speak up. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. You know, outside of marriage, this is probably the biggest question that I get over and over again is how do I navigate my church situation when I just feel so betrayed? So I'm so glad to know there's counselors out there who specialize in this and who are equipped for this and trained in this. Um, so where can people get a hold of you? Okay, so they can go to my website. Um, it's uh, skillsetcounseling.com. And so I have that website that you can go to and you can, anyone can book a free 10 minute consultation with me so we can you know, talk about what your concerns are and see if we're an appropriate fit. Uh, and so I'm licensed, in, I'm licensed in Georgia and Michigan, but I can also see people via telehealth versus several states. So ver- via mm-hmm. several states. So if you look on the website, you'll be able to see where, um, depending on what state you're in, whether I can see you or not, 
And then also mm -hmm. I do have some videos addressing some of these topics on my YouTube channel. And so individuals can also uh, go there and um, ask questions in the comment section, you know, uh, things like that. So I have that um, mm -hmm. availability as well. Um, and it's important too to understand that this is not a, a substitute for professional advice, this is educational. It's really important to understand that everyone's situation is going to be different. So that's why it's really important. I can't stress to get that help if you feel isolated or you're going through an abusive situation. Don't, uh, don't be afraid to reach out, call an abusive uh, abuse hotline so that you're getting the, mm -hmm. the the intervention and help that you need. But yes, you can go to the website and there's also a way to email me too through the website as well. So. Perfect. And I will put the links to all that. And I wanted to stress too, just, just for education for our listeners, when someone is licensed, it does mean they have to be licensed by certain boards and different states have different um, different rules. And that's why people who are licensed can't always practice in every state. If you find someone who says they can practice everywhere, that's actually a red flag. <laughs> so, <laughs> people who are licensed often have more restrictions because they're, they're, they belong to a governing body. That's a good thing. <laughs> so I just want to encourage people to really look Yes, really look for people who are who are licensed. Licensed clinical psychologists have a lot of training um, and have really looked into this. So uh, thank you very much for being here. Again, I will put I will put links um, to everything in the podcast notes that go along with this. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Sheila. I mean, your book is just a, a wonderful resource. And I think even though the, the, your book does, uh, the, the Great Sex Rescue book, even though that, I mean, it, it deals, it's it's an eye opener. And I think that that's a great resource as well for, for people who are going through, uh, you know, who think, oh, I don't know about what, you know, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know what's going on with my situation. The book is a wonderful resource. I've recommended it to, uh, you know, to other individuals. And I just think it, it really helps people read that book and they think, wow, my eyes are, are open. It's almost like seeing the world and seeing the church world and the spiritual world from a very different, but eye-opening and empowering perspective. I could just tell that from your work, um, uh, you, you and your team really genuinely value and care about women and, um, and, and the church in general. And you want to see everybody flourish, you want to see healthy marriages and healthy families. So thank you for doing the work you do. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, well, thank you for that encouragement. I appreciate that too. I should take you on the road with me. So <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Well, when we get in our RV next year and we go South, I will, I will hit you up in Atlanta. I will come say hi. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Thank thanks for joining us. I hope you found these interviews helpful. I know that it can be really rough when you realize that the place where you worship, where all of your friends are, where so much of your identity is, is also something which is eating at you, which is toxic, which doesn't look anything like the Jesus that you love. And if that's you, please understand that I get it. I've been there too. Um, next week on our last podcast before Christmas, we'll be talking about where Rebecca and Joanna and I all landed this year and how we don't feel spiritually homeless anymore. We found good places to worship. So if you're in that toxic place, just know that not all churches are like this. They really aren't. Um, and I pray that you will have peace and clarity and that the fog will lift this holiday season. So thank you for joining us on the Bear Marriage Podcast. Please remember 
remember to subscribe and download. We're so close to a million downloads in 2022. And I'm just thrilled with how many of you listen in every week. I'm very honored. Um, And stay tuned for a shorter podcast next week that is a lot more personal um, and that will give the other side of this story about churches. (laughs) See you then and take care.